Designated Drinker Show, the podcast that's raising the bar on craft cocktails. I am your host, Louise Salas, and with me, as always, is my very, 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 very talented friend, my crispy little crouton, the mixtress DC Gina. I do- <laughs> Am I stoned? Is that why you're calling me crispy? I'm not really sure. <laughs> All right, I'm into it. Everyone loves a little crispy crouton. Yeah, where, where are we going with this? Okay, this is why I ask you this, Gina. There's always a reason. I know it's hard to believe, but there is. Do you know the birthplace of the Caesar salad? Well, I'm not supposed to know, I don't think, right? Well, what, but I do know. Yeah, you do know now. What? Well, I know. It was, I always knew it was Mexico. Okay. And then I and then we went. I I had to like go through my. I thought it was Cancun, it wasn't. I thought it was Puerto Vallarta, it was not, but it is Tijuana. It's Tijuana, and the reason why is that, so it was during Prohibition, during the Dark Ages, right? Um, And so, well-heeled, Californians would go down, head south of the border to, of course, get their booze and still have their parties. But the other thing is, so Cesar Cardini was his name, and he had a restaurant named no less than Caesars, and he made the Caesar salad. So they, the Californians went down for their bit of nip and got healthy while they ate their, well, somewhat healthy, eating their Caesar salads. I'm, a true Caesar salad is not healthy. No, it's, it's delicious. Not, but we though. like to think of it as. It's yeah. like a Bloody Mary, you know, it's not really, well, it's kind yeah. of, I like to call them a salad. I think you can get Cardini dressing like in the grocery stores. Oh, you're right. Yeah. You're right. I yeah. didn't even piece that together. You yeah. are absolutely, you're all, usually, as, as normal, you're right. So. No. <laughs> no, I'm not right. Children, I did not want children. I was not right. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding, girls. Eventually, one day you'll listen to these. I, I'm kidding. Well, you, I'm not that's kidding. That's one thing you can't return. Why, I know. You, you know, there's no Amazon doesn't take them back. No, so you tried. And you can click all you want. You keep happen. shoving them in the box, and the UPS guy just yeah. circles like, back. Ma'am, <laughs> this thing is moving, is it? Oh, okay. And it's calling mommy. Oh, really? Let me let me get that. Oop, wrong wrong package. This one. I didn't mean it. Same size. <laughs> all right, so let's get back to the show. All, all this about going long distances far and wide for the things that you really, really want and for the best thing on the menu is uh, brings us to today's designated drinker. And it's no less, no other than the food editor of the Washington City paper, Laura Hayes. Welcome to the show, Laura. Good morning, ladies. Good Hi. morning. How are you? I'm great. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Glad to have you. It's my first time and last call. Oh, yes. Really? It won't be my last time on Last Call. Oh, I love that. I didn't know that. Yeah, we're oh, so today we're at Last Call, our new bar. So yes. we're here at uh, 1301 4th Street Northeast. Down here in the Union Market Union, area. Union Market District. So if you're out and it's 3 o'clock in the morning and you need like your last drink, come on down. Down to Last Call. There you <laughs> go. All right. So, Laura, I really have some uh, something to tell you. Ready. And I want to let you know that people love you, but they also hate you. Yep. And you know what I know why? Why yeah. I think it's true? It's because they, we all just envy you. We all just want to be you. We <laughs> want to follow in your footsteps. Tell us, how did you make it all happen? How do you get to be like, people like serve up dishes for you left and right and happy to have you. I mean, I'm just lucky if they open the door for me. <laughs> <laughs> Usually I have to come through the back door, sneak in and let them know that I know Gina. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, do you really know this broad at the bar? Yeah. Uh, I think I sent you a screenshot. I'm like, oh yeah, she says the Adrian. Oh, she's not lying. Nope, not lying. Um, good question. Um, so yes, I mean, I've been covering the food and drink scene for about eight years now. Maybe, maybe not eight years. Um, and 
So yes, I've been fortunate to meet a ton of people in the hospitality industry, and um, I feel very strongly that we're lucky to have such a tight-knit community here, um, where most people really support each other and um, you know get to know journalists, and journalists get to, get to know everyone in the scene. Um, I'm not a food critic, though, so yes. you know, fortunately, I don't have people rolling out the red carpet for me. Um, <laughs> I would actually hate that. Um, so um, my job's a little different in that I'm kind of covering the trends and issues that impact restaurants and bars, from labor to immigration to race to um, tipping habits, um, everything like that. That's cool. So how, what got you there? I mean, like, the, I always think it's so interesting when people have, like, these unique, like, you have this niche space that you're in and, like, how you got to where you are. Yeah. It's a long story. How, we got time? We, we, got, time. we got a lot of liquor here in Last Call. It's fine. Um, <laughs> I start with A. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, good luck. Uh, so I, my background's in broadcast journalism. I was a TV news writer and producer, um, which was miserable. I, my last job <laughs> in that field was in San Diego. I worked from 2 a.m. to 11 a.m. And they made us sit on those balls, you know, those like exercise yes. balls um, <laughs> to try to keep us awake. But every like once in a while, someone would like roll off and, and hit, their head, yeah, hit their head on the keyboard. Um, I was most famous for falling asleep in the ladies room. Um, it was, oh, it was, <laughs> it was rough. Um, but then I had the opportunity to, did you get a bruise on your butt? Oh yeah. Oh I mean, I was a mess. Um, I was 23. So you can do anything when you're 23. Of course you can. Of course um, you can. It's magical. Yeah. Right? I totally believe that. Yes. Yeah. And I was in San Diego. So I got off at 11 AM and I went and had a margarita, a fish taco. I snorkeled and then I went to bed. Yeah. It was great. Yeah. Um, but then I had the opportunity to move to Japan, which was really um, life changing and transformative. Yeah, I yeah. lived in a, a very small town where I was one of seven foreigners. They flipped the little uh, counter over at City Hall when I arrived. Uh, <laughs> That's hilarious. <laughs> I know this. Keep yeah, going. Yeah. yeah, so I taught junior high school English and I taught at a little private school at night for uh, everyone from two year olds up to 80 year olds. Um, and in my spare time, I helped my 90 year old neighbors um, with their rice field. Oh, cool. um, which is a really good thing to put on your resume. Yeah. And um, when I got back, I worked as a communications director for a Japanese nonprofit. Um, but I really wanted to get back into journalism. And, and while I was in Japan, which is a fantastic food um, country, of sure, course, absolutely. Um, I just really connected with um, food and drink. And um, so I wanted to try to make a foray into the food and drink journalism world. So I started a blog, um, as many as do. one did, yes, as does, you do. Yes, uh, it was called Best Thing on the Menu. Um, I started See how to stitch it all together. Yeah, oh, yeah you yeah. nailed it. Um, <laughs> that was in 2012, and um, I just populated that site enough to get my first full-time job. Uh, not full-time. My first paid job writing for Thrillist. Um, and then I um, basically built a freelance career um, writing for Food Network and The Post and Washingtonian and uh, a whole bunch of other outlets until I found a staff job at City Paper. So that's how I'm here. But it also goes all the way back to when I was two or three years old. And there is video of me, home video, if anyone has a VHS player, I can show you <laughs> of me saying I want to grow up and be a food critic. So I have sort of um, yeah. realized my two year old dream. Wow. That's amazing. That is so cool. <laughs> that's that's an, in a nutshell, yeah. uh, my weird journey um, to this really terrific job that I'm lucky to have. I bet. I bet. So have you, so you're, you're not a food critic. So what is the difference between a food critic and a food, a food editor? Sure. And, food. and editors huh? like, yeah. 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 And editors, you know, generous. Uh, well, I do occasionally edit um, freelancers. I'm reporting. A food writer. Um, Sorry. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so I cover the food beat like a reporter would cover the crime beat or the education beat. Um, so I'm looking at um, hard news, you know, chefs behaving badly. Oh. Um, <laughs> that keeps you busy. <laughs> Helping with the tipping for the bartenders and stuff. Yeah, that um, I, I really enjoy stories where um, I'm trying to kind of build a connection between diners or drinkers and people behind the bar, people in the kitchen or who serve them. Because um, I think there's a lot that's misunderstood. Yeah. Um, so I tell a lot of stories um, from different perspectives, from female bouncers in this town to general managers and what it's like for them to dine out. Are they able to turn it off? Like, can they relax? Are they looking at everything that's going wrong? Yeah. Um, things like that. And, and tipping um, has been a big part of my um, work over the past two years, first with Initiative 77, yep. uh, which we don't need to rehash, please. And then um, I've been kind of following along with different tipping models that restaurants are doing here. And um, one story I wrote this year was whether it's still okay to tip a dollar per drink. Um, because there's a bar, bar up in Petworth, Dos Mamis, where um, the owner was noticing that on $85 checks, which were basically five drinks um, at that establishment, uh, people were leaving $5 tips, which comes out to a dollar per drink. Um, so I was, you know, exploring the argument of is that still, you know, a fair tip? Um, when it's not, you know, a bartender opening a can, but yeah. a bartender who, like Gina. Who, it's not somebody slinging, it's somebody crafting. Yeah, but I mean, even I would argue that someone slinging still deserves more than a dollar a drink because they're, sure. they're doing so much more. They're making sure your favorite sports games on TV. Yeah. Um, they're making sure that the environment that you're in is safe. And I mean, there's so much that goes into it. Yeah. Um, so that was a really interesting discussion. I think 20, I think the 20, 22% is generally what people, 25, I would honestly guess to say like, 25% is like generally when you have regulars, what they leave you. Like, yeah. and I don't mean it like to be like, that's what you know everyone does or can afford, but like you establish a relationship with somebody or yeah. you do something. I feel like, you know, you do, get, you do get your rewards. And I see where people come from though, where they're saying, I just paid $16 for this drink. You chose to put 11 ingredients in it. The restaurant owner agreed to that. This is the thing why do I have to give more than this, right? I am married to Neil, yeah. right? So this is, this is why I understand where some people are coming from. The man who doesn't tip ballet. I, uh, yeah, he do <laughs> we do tip ballet because I walk behind him and tip you, all ballet, anywhere I'm with you. I, I, find, I, see, I see the argument, but, the, but I am happy for what you wrote because the perception of what goes into a shift yeah. is missing. Like they don't understand like, yes, the bar opened at five, but that bartender was there at 2.30, making the syrups and the tinctures and setting it, making the rolls and cutting the perfect little napkins and yes. whatever. Prepping for the night. Whatever yeah. it is. Prepping for your, to host your, you. Your parrot yeah. garnish. Yeah. Yeah. They, they may have been in there on their day off making syrups and tonics. And I mean, there's so much that goes into cocktails today, which, you know, we're, it's this embarrassment of riches for diners, but you know, you guys are working really hard. I wonder, one thing I wonder is if um, tipping a dollar per drink is less common because less people are using cash these days. So it's like- One it, would hope. Right, and the yeah. receipts, um, or not the receipts, the checks sometimes say, you know, they give you a guide, what's 18%, what's 20%, what's, yeah. what's 25, and you can even just like check it off. Yeah. Um, and some people, you know, can certainly override that and leave no tip, but um, it's interesting to see how technology is changing, um, even in places like the coffee shop where, mm -hmm. I mean, you order like two lattes and they flip the screen around towards you and you're kind of 
deciding the tip right in front of the barista who's about yeah. to make your drink, and so there's more pressure there. It's um, it's a really interesting thing. I hope to continue exploring in 2020. That is, that is a little bit of pressure, right? Because now you're like, what if I don't tip? You know what? You know what makes me nervous? What's up? Not tipping the Uber Eats people. Like I would not not tip them just because now they're driving with your food from one location to your house. So now they know where you live. They know you didn't tip them. <laughs> and they have your food. And they have your food. Yeah. I tip. I go, tip. Yo, I tip every time. So when they come, yeah. they're like, oh, thank you so much. And you're like, you think they don't see it? Of course they see it. It's instant. They see but it But do you instantly. know you can actually take it away? Well, I, well, I, I mean, I if ever you could. If ever you had to, like, say it was missing or spilled or whatever. That it, I've never done it, but I think you're right. I totally tip. As soon as it asks me. As soon as you know it where I me. live, I generally am way nicer to you than most people. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I would Wait, say that. Wait, hold on. I, have one I resemble that comment, and I don't know if it's true. <laughs> <laughs> I do have one thing about that, though, is if you can, you should tip your delivery drivers in cash. I don't know if you ladies saw, but um, Attorney General Carl Racine, or D.C. Attorney General, obviously the yeah. <laughs> United States is not concerned <laughs> with this, um, is currently suing DoorDash for the way that they um, handle their tips. They Oh. They claim to have changed their policy, but um, the AG is basically arguing that they need to pay like back wages to people whose tips were basically stolen. Um, oh, I'm glad somebody's well, we watching. We know some restaurant owners in this city that have done that too, <laughs> don't we? I mean, yeah. I mean, it's disgusting. Yeah, they're basically if you tipped through the DoorDash app. Um, they would use that tip to subsidize their guaranteed like fee that they offer oh. the driver. Oh. So if you if your meal was ten dollars and you tip two dollars, um, they would use the two dollars to count towards the eight dollars plus eight dollars. Yes. Oh. Um, so I'm interested to see how that lawsuit turns out. And basically, the best way to kind of avoid that is tip cash. I mean, I'm a big proponent of cash. Like I think that the currency bringing money back to like the bar especially for or servers, it's really nice for them. I give my staff their tips. Like, they get their tips day of. Yeah. So that's why I'm the best employer to come work for. So if you need a job, <laughs> please like, email us at hello Buffalo Bergen DC. We're hired. Anyway, uh, this is sort of selfish right there. Anyway. There Everyone um, is hiring. Yeah, it everybody's hiring. So we're in hiring intense. crisis. But, like, I give, every, I give everybody their, their tips. And, like, and like um, some people will say to me, some people that I know in this business are like, um, do, you don't you don't charge them, and I go, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, you pay if it's a credit card tip. As a processing, yeah. I'm paying the fees. And I was like, no, I, I don't I don't charge. You charge them? Like I'm like listening to my friends say this. I'm like, you you charge your five dollar an hour server the processing fees to give them the tip? And they're like, yeah. And I'm like, and I'm looking at them and I'm thinking, you're terrible. Now I'm now. Now I know how much money you make and how yeah. busy your restaurant is. Yeah. And I know that you just buy yourself a new Mercedes. You charge them that? You're talking, we're talking dollars, yeah. right? We're talking $20 yeah. a week. We're yeah. not talking some big amount of money, right? Yeah. And I get it. You have 100 employees, $20 a week. I get the numbers, right? Where yeah. they come from in the year and whatever. But like, yeah. interesting. come on. You gotta like, you gotta like really not do that. I yeah. think there are certain things of just uh, the, the sheer doing business. Yep. Yeah. Well, common decency for one, but I, but don't you agree that, and this is, 
goes across all industry, because um, I'm not from the food and beverage industry and from the advertising industry, but I totally agree that you get back what you put into your people, and, and that is part of that, where you create an environment that you're taking care of them, because the cost of replacing them is far greater than whatever that surcharge is that you're paying. If these are good people that you have, that you've invested in, that you've grown with, that have grown your business with, it seems to me, common sense would say, they're well worth that, whatever that that small whatever that is the the fee that they shouldn't be paying because you're right there's a cost to doing business yes. like you chose to open a public space you chose to employ people you sign an employment act that says i'm going to do the right thing right yeah. and then you then you nickel and diamond i got a good one for you don't get the brass fittings for your bathroom right <laughs> and don't have the most instagram bathroom in the city yeah and be and be fair to your employees right yeah it's like, it doesn't seem worse. So I don't the know. The math is easy. I don't know. I don't know. I opened another store, so I have no idea. Am I going to become Are you even awake now? No, but I'm I think you're just. I'm not going to become one of those people. No. As long as there's people like Laura writing about it, I don't think anybody should. And I think that yeah. she's. <laughs> no, I. Ooh. I will 100% say there are things that people write that you're like, where are you coming from, right? And yep. then there are things that need to be talked about. They're, they're dirty little secrets. Yep. You know? They're dirty little secrets, and they should be. Like, just yeah. to, if you're a good person, you have nothing to worry about. Yeah. Like, literally nothing. Well, like, you probably have plenty of things to worry about, but that should be the last of them, right? Like, are you doing good to other people? Mm, yeah. True. Back true. to Laura. Yeah, now, now back I to I can Laura. just talk about this all day. Me too. Yeah. Why don't we get her a cocktail? Oh, yeah. What do you think about that? Oh, yeah. Why don't I do, like, something I'm supposed to be doing on the show, right? And not just... <laughs> why don't I earn my keep? All right, hold on. Um, so we're going to do this a little bit differently, because um, I'm actually stepping away from everybody. We are going to make a hot drink. So when you're making uh, hot drink cocktails during the winter and stuff, one thing that you have to remember is that you want to keep your, your, your water not at boiling temperatures because once you put the alcohol in it, it will dissipate. And today we are using... And that's a terrible idea. And we are using uh, <laughs> number 21 uh, rye. And it's a... I don't know if it's a new, new that, that new of a product or if it's new to our market, but it's actually quite lovely. And we're gonna make this really basic. So this is something you do at home. You can take your, uh, you know, use your rye, or you could use tequila, you know, something that you want's a little bit staunchy. We're gonna use good old fashioned Lipton tea bags. Um, everybody can have one. It's not like I'm asking you to go out and get some, you know, tea that was made by, you know, a woman that only comes out at night in Asia, <laughs> picks her tea leaves, there's only six that come to the United States. The tea costs $655,000 an ounce. You know what I mean? It is what it is, right? So we're gonna put in there a Lipton tea bag and I'm gonna use um, three cloves and just one thing, here's a pro tip, we toast all of our cloves. Now, our cloves were toasted for, you know, a few minutes in a dry um, pan only because you don't know how long those cloves have been sitting in said box, you know, for when it, till it gets to you. Could be years, you know? And it's not that it's bad, you just have to re-release the oils. I don't know very many people that are harvesting cloves and getting it to your door. <laughs> now, if, if Laura has that, I'm totally into it. Um, cinnamon to me is subjective when you're making a hot drink. I like to serve it on the side, and then you can use it as your own stirrer. You can figure out how you like your cinnamon. I like put it in for a second and I pull it out. Um, some people like it really, really hot, so they keep the cinnamon in. And when I mean hot, like cinnamon can be really burning. You know, oh. so like you wanna, um, and burning is not a word, uh, it can really like burn your palate, so yeah. you kind of like do it your way. 
Uh, cinnamon that I like to use is like a canale cinnamon, a good Mexican cinnamon. You can use the hard site cinnamon as well. That just means that it's more tightly rolled and it is not from Mexico. Oh. So. Is this like a, a friend of a toddy or what is what is this? Yeah, this is um, just a hot drink. It's a friend <laughs> of a toddy. If we were gonna do a toddy, we would ixnay the, the tea bag. But for me, a little, I don't know, that looks like a little tea. It's just nice. So we're gonna take it's this over and then, do. and what I do is I let the tea bag sit for just, I don't know, let's call it 45 seconds as it color up and then I'll put the liquor in. Once you put the liquor in, it's gonna speed up the process of your tea. So all the sweetness from the, um, from the tea leaf is gonna be gone and then the liquor will take over. Does oh. that make sense? Yeah. So we'll call, we'll call it a few more seconds. I will grab a lemon and then we'll be ready to go. She's gonna grab her lemon. I will grab a lemon. I will, uh, I will grab a lemon that I like, actually. This is a better lemon. <clears throat> I like lemons. When you're buying lemons in the store, if they're really smooth, put it back. You don't need that lemon. It's not the lemon for you. You need a lemon that has a little bit more um, like whole, um, rough surface because it has better zesting abilities. Oh. All right, so this cocktail, know you know, you can do it however you want to drink it. I, I personally don't think that you need, when you have a hot drink and you're you know, making the spirit even stronger and you have something that's a little overproved. One ounce is more than enough. So we're gonna actually use, so it's, but one and a quarter ounce is better. So we're gonna do one and a quarter ounce for each one of these cocktails. And then you can steep out as much tea as you want, but I'm pretty sure it's done at this point. That lemon tip is critical. Thank you for that. I was making champagne cocktails over the weekend and I could not get on my lemon peel to kind of come off like that. So I think it was smooth as a baby's butt, so. It's, yeah, that's So is the lemon, it wasn't you? It wasn't operator air? Always, <laughs> of course not. <laughs> All right, so now you'll see the color of your tea. And I would say Thank it's you. pretty much pretty. almost done. And then you can decide how you want it and then we'll take it out. There we go. Um, so, and cheers, it's just, you know. Cheers. Yeah, you, you take it out. So like, you know when you go to the store and you like get a tea and like sometimes people like it really dark, some people like yeah. it light. It's, it's your own thing. Enjoy it. It's, it's just, a DIY cocktail, almost. It a is little a little bit. bit. I like the tea bag in it. I enjoy the depth of tea. Like I like different flavors. And if cheers. you're like a big lemon lavender tea yeah, person. I'm sorry, I'm for you. Um, <laughs> rude not you know, to. Get your lemon lavender tea, <laughs> do it your way. But follow the rules, you know what I mean? Like don't overboil it, don't put boiling water on top of tea. Don't put the liquor in until the tea has a chance to steep, otherwise it'll get cold. You know, there's rules to engagement for hot cocktails. Oh, that's good, perfect. Yep, just, this is what you have. Tea, when, right? Yes. yes. What I really like about this, Gina, to your point, is that it's not sweet, it's, but it's not bitter, it's a nice... There's no sugar just in there, sugar. just so we're all clear. And now we can put a little bit of sugar if you'd like, and I, have, I do have a little bit of, um, Champagne pear, if you want just like a little hit of like sweetener. Oh, well, let's try it. What is that? So champagne yeah, pear. You're like, you never turn Gina down on something. I'm like, I'm no. So champagne pear is the stuff that we make. It's kind of, it's an elixir and it's just, um, so we take pears, mash them up, a little bit of cuveing yeast. Uh, here, let's do like a, I go do like a quarter, like a little halfy. Oh, look at you. Four eggs, four eggs. The so, whole thing? Yeah, that's okay. All of it? No, just stop there and try to taste it. Sorry, quarter ounce is what I want you to do. Just taste it, tell me if you want more. So what it is, it's pears that you take, um, you mash them up and you put a little bit of cuvain yeast on top so it gets really, starts to get activated, right? No sugar yet. And then you stop the fermentation by putting sugar on top of it and then you, whatever is left with the sugar, yeah. you um, 
See, you take pairs. So you take pairs yeah. with your tea. Yeah. Yes, um, that was the right move. Yeah. Um, so, sorry, and you take that and you just take whatever the liquid is that, that the yeast is eaten and that's what's left. So it's an elixir, it's not a syrup. Cool. Yeah, you know, everything doesn't need uh, raw sugar or cane or agave or yep. whatever. There's lots of sugar in fruit and you just yep. gotta pull it out different ways. It reminds me a tiny bit of that like Perugia stuff that Catoctin Creek makes, have mm. you had that? That's like yes. pear brandy, I think. Yes, yeah. so good. Oh, very cool. Yes. I mean, they're, I love her, she's so good. So yeah. do you use um, like your over-ripened pears? Do you use green? Like pears are like what you like. Like I'm a big fan of like, I like the red Bartlett pear just because I love where they're from, right? So you usually generally get your um, red Bartlett's either from up towards like Maine or you can get it from Washington State. And there's a different yeast that's just naturally on that. It ships with it. So when you react that with like a cuvang yeast or even an ale yeast, they have like a nice reaction. Um, so you're not taking the skins off when you do this? No, right? I mash them up with the skins. Gotcha. I want all of it. Like okay. I, I'm looking for the whole thing. I don't, I, there is something really nice when you take like say like um, baby ginger and you strip it all the way down. You have this like perfectly clear, like trans, almost translucent inside and you, you shave it and you make this beautiful like, you know, syrup or something, right? And then there's something about it when you take the whole ginger root, skin on and all, and you juice that thing and you just get all of it and it's just like crazy. And like, you know, you just use things differently. And you know, some people say, oh, you know, you can't do a menu. Like you can't do a menu with one, one, one item, but you can, you know, you can, yeah. you can do, I think you could do anything. I think people could do anything. I, I think, think you I, can do anything, Gina. <laughs> you know what I miss is the um, Adam Birnbach's ginger beer at Two Birds, One Stone, RIP. Um, oh. That was <laughs> like, if you had a cold, that was your elixir. I would like stop there. There's the baby yeah. ginger in that run, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So good. We um, should make him, uh, Adam, Adam's been on the show. Yeah, yeah. Oh, great. Right. That was a bunch of laughter, too. I, I, that one might have gone off the rails a little bit, too. <laughs> Awesome. He called me out on a lot of shit. He I did. was like, I wasn't really ready for that. I was like, wait a minute, what is happening here? <laughs> How has everything been flipped? <laughs> I was like, I'm not really sure. All right, sorry. Back, no, back to oh, you. I'm going to do a little housekeeping while we're at oh, it. Okay. So where are we going to get these recipes, Gina? So we're going to go to designateddrinker.show. What was that? It's designateddrinker.show. Yes, you'll get all of Gina's pro tips, the how-tos, and uh, any other things that we need you to, little trailers for you, little bits that you need. Wait, where to buy cuvee yeast? Yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was another, I'm like, I, I just skipped right over that. I'm like, uh-huh, she's going to include it. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's one of those things, how to make it activate. I mean, there's a lot of things to it. So you have some uh, kind of a newer, when we were talking earlier, you have a project about like urban environments and the lack of availability to food and good foods, not just, you know, the dollar menus. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about that? Yeah, um, I guess about a year into my job, uh, I've been at the paper since June 20, excuse me, July 2016. Um, about a year in, I started thinking about, you know, it's great to cover all these restaurants, um, but, you know, there's a lot of people um, who don't have the same kind of access to food and that needs to be covered as well. And um, part of that is kind of the role that urban agriculture can play. And um, so I look a lot at what's happening, um, kind of the terminology that's used a lot locally is east of the river and Ward 7 and Ward 8, um, places like Congress Heights and Anacostia and um, they're kind of slowly getting a little more attention. Um, I covered two restaurants that opened there um, in the past um, year, I guess. Um, the common thread behind, 
behind those neighborhoods, just so our listeners understand, is what would you say the common thread between those are? Um, it's just, you know, it's like a city thing where there's have and have nots, and um, basically there's just not a lot of resources, the biggest one being grocery stores. Gotcha. Um, I don't know if, if big, there's only three grocery stores for both those two wards. That's like wow. 170,000 people um, compared to if you like think about Shaw where you could get to a giant, a Whole Foods, so it's streets um, all within a, a short walk. Yeah. Um, and, you know, the question is, you know, why won't these companies open here? Um, is it because they think that people don't have the money to come spend there, the kind of lower income communities? Um, but I there's a lot of friends that live out there. Yeah, yeah. And, and there's there are people there and they they want to spend their money and they want to spend it on healthy food. And um, often you see them leaving their wards to go spend money in other parts of the city. And um, so hopefully I. I you know, companies like Sweetgreen or, or um, some other kind of medium price point places will kind of enter that neighborhood um, to give them some more options. Um, there are a lot of carryouts east of the river, and, you know, you certainly can't discount their, their value. Um, some of them have been around for decades and sure. provide a, a tremendous service and great food. Um, but I'd like to see more places where, like, a family can go and, and sit down, just like in every other part of the city. Yeah, yeah. It's, it, you, you hit it on the nose. There's uh, so many people who have... In this city, as it, like many others, and there, there's such a vast majority are those without, though, or have less than. Well, can I say one thing? And this is the only thing I will say about the city. I've lived in the city 18 years, right? Finished college, came here, everything. I watched the city change dramatically, right? From having five yes. restaurants downtown, Penn Quarter, like not even Penn Quarter, um, downtown DC, like more like 19th and M, right? Mm -hmm. Where all the big restaurants were. To now, there's different neighborhoods and everything. I can. 100% remember driving from University of Maryland down Rhode Island Avenue the whole way in, right? Yep. And they just being blocks and blocks of abandoned homes. Yeah. So, like, you can't, the renaissance that Washington, D.C., and a lot of cities for that matter, have had, you know, the infrastructure starts really core and then moves itself out. Yep. One of the initiatives that I feel like is really important, and like we do, um, in general, but part of you know, Kid Hungry and also part of um, just Chefs for Schools. Like, we go into like schools in like, all neighborhoods and like put gardens in yeah. and like educate from within. We say, okay, you've been the lunch lady here or lunch person here for you know, you know, 40 years, and that's a commendable thing, right? Because that person might only be 60 and not retiring yet, right? Yep. And to teach them that, like, here's the tomato that's not in the jar and this is what you're going to serve them and these kids maybe like you're in high school and the seniors and the juniors are helping with the garden because they want to it's a volunteer thing no one is forced to do anything right or the parents of the schools for the little kids are starting to be part of it it all it has to start that way like we're in northeast dc the schools that are here i can i can tell you for sure that my hands have been in that ground, helping them, putting all these things together. Yep. And it is that education that gets those the attention. Because I lived up the block here forever. There was no grocery stores, there was nothing. We used to go to the corner market to get like, you know, milk or bread, whatever it yeah, was. Like a little bodega. But you were like 100% dependent on it because nobody cared. Yeah. Like everybody lived in the suburbs and now it's flipped, right? Yep. A great this, influx, yep. Yeah, but also the, but now the suburban, like now it's suburban markets yeah. aren't as flush as they used to be, right? Yep. Giant grocery stores are just closed. Yep. Because they're here now. Yep. Because the people are here now. So it's an interesting switch. And do I think, 
And I think that Southeast, it's like, you know, Southeast Board uh, 7 8, so rich in the history of Washington, D.C., mm -hmm. so important in our history of like where um, everybody uh, lived or, or people or higher government mansion. There's tons of mansions out there yep. that are all historic. And people just don't realize that like they were just abandoned. Yeah. For a really and, long time. And it's some of the most beautiful land in the city. Like Marvin Gaye Park is huge and, and stretches on. And there, I think there's just a lot of opportunity over there. The interesting thing with school gardens, which I'm a huge proponent of, um, and, and urban agriculture in general, is you have to kind of frame it the right way for people when you explain it. Because it's never going to be about um, like kind of making up the food gap. You're never going to grow enough food in a little city plot to feed, to make it a, a dent in this Beneath. kind of this yeah. gap, right? But um, what does matter is that you're showing kids what food looks like coming out of the ground they tell their parents and um, it brings communities together they're not in front of screens or they're very engaged it's hugely important um, but again the problem is like that can't stop at the schoolyard gate because if a kid goes home and is like mommy daddy I love carrots now um, I want pe I love peppers now and the parents have nowhere to buy those those products right. then you know it's it's null and void so we really need to um, get more healthy food into these communities absolutely and, Absolutely. Farmers markets for sure too. Yeah, yeah, and there's so many great organizations that are working towards these goals: DC Greens, DC Urban Greens. Um, so many that I, I love to kind of support. You know, it would be an interesting thing to do. Like all these food trucks. If you drive down Williamsburg Road, there's like a food truck um, mecca. Yeah. Well, yeah. You know, also I like to call it, you know, a, a graveyard too. Right? Some yeah. of them don't actually work. <laughs> what if somebody just took that and took like made a, like a green grocer truck? Where like you would be able to pull up, you know, instead of like being an ice cream truck. It's like a to, mobile garden. It, it a exists. Mobile, what does? What? Tell me. It exists. Yeah. Who, who does um, that? Arcadia. Well, um, the school bus. Uh, yeah, it's like a mobile market. Yeah, yeah. yeah, and then DC Urban Greens also has a little mobile market that um, they had some Amish farmers build for them. It's this cool wooden thing that they drop, they bring over to the um, Ward A Farmers Market, yeah. flap it open, and sell all their produce um, for like a generally a lower price than um, you'd find at the grocery store. So yeah, those things exist, but we need more of them. Yeah. Um, and with the arcade. Well, the fact that I had no idea. Which yeah. says, I mean, yeah. Write yeah. more. Write more, Laura. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. Happy to. Happy Green, to oblige. The Greenbelt uh, Farmer's Market, right, because I live that way now, is like absolutely one of the most, it's the most affordable farmer's market I've ever seen. Awesome. Like, it's crazy. Like, you can actually get heirloom tomatoes for like, you know, 50 cents. I will say the neighborhood that I live in is not that at all. No. <laughs> not the neighborhood I live in now. No. no. I go and I'm like, wait, how much is that tomato? <laughs> You're giving me like an idea for my Earth Day this year. Ooh. I don't know. I don't know. Nice. Maybe we do like a, um, a massive, just crazy giveaway or something like that. Because like every year we give away plants and seedlings and the same people come and like we start them for them. But maybe we just do something a little bit different. There's um, so many really cool innovative partnerships like Amy Brandwide of Centralina. Um, she partners with DC Urban Greens and she basically um, buys four or five really niche um, crops from them a year. They grow them just for her and she pays about four times more than she would in the store. Um, and basically that extra money helps them subsidize their other work, growing food for their community, surrounding communities. Oh, that's um, cool. Yeah, yeah, and that's something I'd love to see grow in DC. Um, uh, can you get, I, do the intro because honestly yeah. I don't know them and like I would love to do like just bar mint. Exactly. I know which yeah. mint I buy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, forget it. We could we could just do mint all day. Yeah, exactly. I would love that. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's a project I'm interested in exploring down, later on in my career. Stay tuned. <laughs> so speaking of mint, Gina, I think it's time. Oh, it is time. Uh, there is so in, in this day and age everyone identifies themselves, you know what their spirited animal and they say, I am a 
I am a monarch butterfly and I travel all the roads to, you know, Mexico, I don't know, whatever, right? I wanna know if you could be one spirited ingredient and it could be for cocktails or for food or for anything, what are, like, what is it and why? Oh boy, um, I'm gonna say rice. Um, kind of based on my time in Japan and the word for meal in Japan is gohan which is the same word for rice they're kind of synonymous um, and it's such an incredible product that feeds so many people around the world and there's so many different varieties some are more fragrant than others um, you can also make sake out of it um, I love a good sake cocktail um, and I just think it's it's something that so many different cultures will rely on as their kind of base for stews and soups and um, so I feel pretty passionate about rice and um, I, I've never heard that before. I feel really passionate I do, about rice. I do, I do. And I did this really cool story about this guy who's bringing dry land rice farming back to the Mid-Atlantic. Oh. Um, his name is Nazrik Amen. He lives in Tacoma. He wears all purple. His house is purple. His car is purple. His company is Purple Mountain Organics. And he grows rice in a way that doesn't need water, like a typical rice paddy, which is much better for the environment because yeah. um, it doesn't release the methane. Um, and so now um, I can kind of have local rice. Um, so I know it's a little... <laughs> no, it's awesome. Um, Number one sons it, it works with him, right? Is that right? Um, it. It's possible. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people do. I've been, I, I feel like I'm his broker. I just keep connecting him to more <laughs> chefs that are, you know, all these chefs these days are trying to boast that their menu is from within 150 miles of the White House, et cetera, et cetera. So I'm trying to do my part by helping this guy get connected. But That's so cool. rice, That's man, cool. I'm all in on rice. There we so go. You're telling me you have a local sake. I'm into this. We just started going the Koji now. Really? Yeah. I mean, we could. Yeah. Do it. There's a woman, I think it's a woman, I could be wrong, in Nashville who's making sake. Really interesting sake. Barrel aged, um, oh. doing all kinds of interesting things with it. We were just in Nashville this summer we for our show. Yeah. yeah. I said he came about it. He's like really connected to them. Yeah. I love, I love it. Cool. Really good person. Yeah. All right. Let's oh. cheers that. All right. Eat some rice. All right. Let's <laughs> Cheers. 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 Thank you. Thank you so much. Thanks, Gina.